Good morning, church. I hope you guys are doing great. Um, I know we gave a shout out already, thinking for Memorial Day, but anyone here who has served our military in any branch, past or present, will you stand? Past or present. We want to thank you guys. You may be seated. Um, you know, we got faults. Um, but I still believe we, we live in the greatest country uh, in the world. So if uh, one, of the, one of the things I always say that uh, when I was a high school student and a student pastor for years, I said, I wish I could get every senior before they graduate from high school to go and spend about two weeks in a third world country uh, because there would be a whole new appreciation for our freedom and what you have uh, as a blessing because the poorest of poor in America um, which we don't necessarily like, and, and we're, you know, we, we want everyone to do well, still would live like kings uh, in 95% of the world. So the other thing is I always said, um, I wish every um, student could see a live birth. And that sounds weird, uh, but I believe if they did that, they would, they would th always think twice about taking a life in whatever form or fashion. So uh, we're so grateful that uh, we have a military and we've had you guys serving in the past that we can have freedom to come and proclaim the word of God and worship freely in a public school right here in the cafeteria. So hey, if you will go ahead and turn to Romans 10. We're going to be there in just a minute. Um, today is really going to be kind of a summation or summary of the, the first uh, five or six uh, um, series we did for We Are the Church. I did What is the Church first? And then I did We Are the Church, and we built up. So I want to share the big overarching idea for the series as we close out. Then I'm going to hit the big ideas we've already hit. And then I'm going to go into the sermon this morning uh, about uh, really this idea of being on mission for life. We talked about the church is an example to the world led by spiritual mature believers, a place to serve, to connect, multiply disciples, and live on mission for, uh, for God's kingdom. In the first week, we talked about the big idea is this. Um, as partners in the gospel, God is calling us to be living stones, holy priests, to serve and build up and proclaim the gospel as an example for our world that every one of us is called to be a priest, uh, a priest in our home, a uh, priest um, in our neighborhood, a priest in our uh, workplace, place of work, uh, in other words, we're to be the hands and feet. We're to, we're to be that bridge, uh, just as the high priest was uh, to um, the Old Testament. And Jesus is a bridge to us, to God. But we're kind of to build those relationships. We're to kind of go after people. We're to uh, pursue them, to try to reach them. And then the, this other idea, the, the next week was this big idea that God has ordained and established elders of a local church to shepherd their sheep and to become healthy, mature, reproducing sheep. And we talked about this idea that God has structure in the church. And anything uh, that you have that uh, is really a business or a sport or anything like that has structure. And so the church has structure. And God has ordained the, the pastor, the elder, the overseers to, to kind of give spiritual direction. And then there is a, um, an employment of those gifts throughout the church, and we'll hit that in just a minute, about how we all have roles to play. But it's this idea that God has ordained leaders and under-shepherds, and the real idea of a shepherd is not to lord anything over anyone, but really to be a servant leader, just like Jesus was. 
And so Jesus, in the night that he probably should have been worshipped the most by his disciples, he, he, he took off his outer garment, put a towel around his waist, and bent down and washed the feet of Jesus. So it's, it's this idea of a servant leader. That's what a shepherd should be. Um, it's not someone who has authority and lording it like uh, the world does, but in a way that's serving, uh, that is among the sheep, smells like sheep, in the messiness of sheep, protects sheep, feed sheep, love on the sheep. That's the idea. The next week, we talked about the big idea of every follower of Jesus has a role in the local body of Christ and must serve in that role for the body to function at full capacity, right? So we talked about that idea that if anyone's missing, not only are we not running at full capacity, it's like we're missing a cylinder in an engine um, or it's not tuned up completely, and also that person is missing out. So when you're not serving, you're missing out on a blessing because this is what you find out when you serve. You think you're going to bless other people, which you do, but the bigger blessing is actually what you get out of it, that you get to actually serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, and then the next week, we talked about the idea of because of what we have in Christ, we should strive for deep intimacy with God and authentic community with others. And so we talked about a part of the the real idea of growing to be more like Christ is really done best in the context of community in that as a believer, we're me never made to do life uh, by ourselves, but always to do it within the context of community. And really, the best way for the gospel to be practiced is within the context of community. And we see that through Jesus, right? Immediately when he started his ministry, what did he get? He created a small group, right? He went and, 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 and grabbed 12 guys and said, come and follow me. So he automatically had a small group from the get-go because he knows the gospel has to be lived out in the context of community. And that was his example for us. And then we talked about uh, the big idea last week. We were making disciples. It just depends on what type of disciples we're making that matters. In other words, we talked about this idea that we all have influence. We all uh, somehow are leading others. If you're married and you have kids, uh, you know um, you watch your kid because you'll hear something that kid says or do something that kid uh, does and you all of a sudden say, oh my goodness, that's me. You know, it could be good or bad, right? Uh, but you all of a sudden see, I remember that moment in the car when I was saying something to the kids and I was kind of getting on about something. All of a sudden I had a flashback from when uh, my dad and I was in the back of that old station wagon giving my dad a fit about something and all of a sudden I realized I had just emulated some of the things that my dad had shown me and taught me about parenting. So it can happen. Um, and then we see Jesus' example of this is he didn't just have a small group, but he had an intimate group that he poured into Peter, James, and John. And we talked about this idea that none of us need permission to go make disciples. In fact, if you have kids, those should be your first disciples, right? And then as you grow, you need to find someone that you can pour into. And that, and that looks like different things. Sometimes it's a, uh, a Paul-Timothy relationship where you're pouring in. Sometimes it's a peer-to-peer -peer relationship where you're sharpening each other. You're among people. And then sometimes you've got to go after people that you know you need growth in and you need to pursue those people because they need to pour into you. I always heard years ago when I was at Liberty University, talked about this idea of mentorship and discipleship. And 
I always heard that if you really see somebody that you want to be like in the fact of when they follow Christ, they're like them, then you need to pursue them. You need to go after them. Hey, can I get 15 minutes of your time once a week? Or can I get 20 minutes of your time? And literally just say, don't say, will you mentor me a disciple? Busy people usually struggle with that. But you say, hey, can you give me 20, 30 minutes a week or an hour a week? This is what I'd like to ask you some questions about how this is in life. And so this is that picture of discipleship. Now, I want to summarize some more, and I want to give us some overall pictures of things we did touch on, some things we didn't touch on about the church. And so if you're, you're keeping notes, write these down. These are some metaphors that we see in Scripture about the church. And again, this is only a six-week series. It's not all-encompassing. You can go your life reading through Scriptures and learn more and more about uh, certain things, and the church is one of those as well. So the, the, this idea of the family or the members of the household of God. The scriptures talk about that, and we see it in 2 Corinthians 6.18. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So when we talk about this family or this household of God, it's really this idea of a sense of belonging, a, a, a place. You have a, you have a seat at the table. Um, there is this interdependency, this uh, as we, we talked about before, 59 one to another's in the New Testament. So it's, it's really this picture of a family, a seat at the table, interdependency, a place of belonging as a church uh, and as you partner with the local church, as you become not just a pic picture of the universal church, which anyone who comes to faith in Christ is a part of that, but a part of the local church, a local family of God. The other thing is this idea of a building or structure the, the, the Hebrews 3, 6 says, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So it's, this idea, again, we touched on this just a minute ago, but this idea of structure within the church, this idea of um, really protection and safety within the church, uh, because sh shepherds don't just... Uh, feed the sheep, but they protect the sheep. And ultimately, God is the chief shepherd, and he protects us. He's also, Christ is the builder, right? Um, and even though there's a, a kind of a, a framework by which leadership is built, every church looks a little different based on its context and where they're at, where they live. You can't plant a church in Africa like you did here, right? You can't plant a church in uh, Brazil like you did here. Maybe it's, it's different. It's going to look different. It's going to feel different. It's going to have that kind of a family atmosphere, but also maybe a little bit different way of building that church. Also, we talked about, or the scriptures talk about, a holy temple. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 says this, Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So, it's this picture of worship that even though God doesn't live here in this place, because, you know, lots of churches live, um, lots of churches meet in places like uh, bars or uh, they meet in places of, they may even have debauchery and other days of the week there. But it's this idea that when we meet here, we meet God here in a sense that as we corporately worship, um, we confess, we praise God, we ask for forgiveness and, and, and this is a picture of a holy temple, if you will, as a church. And then this other picture of a bride. The marriage of the lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted 
uh, her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Revelations 19, 7 and 8. And when you think about a bride, you think about beauty, right? You think about pureness. Um, you think about uh, this idea of pursuing uh, this bride. You think about this idea of a covenant, right? Um, this commitment one to another. And this is the picture of the church, that we are, we're coming in a covenant relationship with each other as we grow in our relationship with God and as we reach the nations. This is that picture of what it should look like as a church. And then the last two is uh, this idea of a body. And it says in Romans 12, 4 and 5, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So, uh, though many as one body in Christ and individual members of one of another. So it's this idea of stewardship. See, we're given one body in life, right? We're given one life. And so we have to be good stewards of our body. We have to be good stewards of our time. We have to be good stewards of our talent. It's really this idea that unity is absolutely vital. In fact, unity is as important as life itself. So when we talk about the body, and, and it, uh, you know, Christ uses that funny illustration about, um, or the scriptures use that funny illustration about how the, the foot, if it you know, wasn't a hand, it doesn't want to be a part of the body anymore, and how it you know, wants to leave, right? I mean, how, how, what bad a shape would you be if all of a sudden you lost your leg tomorrow, right? You, you would be somehow um, not quite in all capacities like you would normally be, and you would have to relearn and this idea of that idea of oneness and unity not only brings beauty and brings symmetry and brings uh, synergy to the body, but it's also a beautiful picture to the outside, right? And it's a picture ultimately of the Trinity. And so this idea that you have Father, Son, and Spirit in different roles, but one is this idea of us, this different parts of the body coming together in this oneness. And then ultimately it talks about the idea of the church being a field Field, um, it says in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. In other words, it's this picture, just as we learned last week about the farmer, that even when we trust God's sovereignty and we cannot, we cannot make it rain, we cannot make the plant grow, right? We trust God that God is the one that has to give increase, but it says the hardworking farmer. So it's this picture that we have to work hard. We have to get our hands messy. We have to get in the dirt. We trust sovereignty. We trust God. But we, we focus, our, our whole focus of a farmer is focusing on what? Ultimately the harvest, right? To reap in the fruit of God's work. And so that leads me right into this week, what we want to talk about. The big idea is this. Every believer has been given a mission by God to advance his kingdom through sharing the good news of Jesus. So if you will, turn with me to Romans 10, and we're going to read 13 through 15. And for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom um, in him of whom they have not, never heard. And how are they to hear someone? 
I'm sorry, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word. Thank you that, um, God, you promise um, as your word is taught and preached, God, it will take root and it will give forth fruit. And we claim that in the name of Jesus today. And God, we ask that you would do an increase. Um, God, I would decrease in Jesus' name. Amen. Some people believe uh, that um, our country has been evangelized. It's been reached. I hate to say that's not true. Uh, the reason we're here um, in Caroline County is about 65 to 70% are unchurched or dechurched or basically have no affiliation with the scriptures or what the term is kind of called up as nuns, N-O-N-E. I mean, they, they don't have any affiliation with any church or any kind of religious uh, background. And the reality is we can walk down the street and share about Jesus and they haven't heard of it. I remember this uh, hit me when I was uh, in Lynchburg years ago and uh, we, were, we were at kind of our first full-time church. We'd served in churches and I'd done internships and served in a lot of areas as volunteers but never had been vocationally as a pastor. And I remember leading our students on this idea of evangelism. We were just kind of going around the church and we were trying to do spiritual surveys and figure out uh, kind of where people were at. And if the Lord opened those doors, we would share. And I remember just a block down the church talking to this lady and doing a spiritual survey. And she kept letting me talk more and more. And then finally I got to the gospel and I was able to share. And I literally asked her, have you ever heard that before? You know what her answer was? No. She lived in Lynchburg. I mean, probably one of the most uh, religious church. I mean, there, you can't go a block without having a church there. Um, and so this idea to think that our neighbors, our coworkers, our teammates somehow have heard the gospel, I want to remind you that many of them have not. And the reality is many times you have to hear the gospel over and over and over. It's like overseeding your yard until it eventually takes root in people's life. Um, so I want you to understand that in our church, we have one of our core values is a mission mandate. We, we have a byline called, it doesn't stop here. And this is how it works. Every believer is commanded to partner in the Great Commission and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do everyday missions. Now, I think we overcomplicate this in many ways. Um, we feel like we um, have to have uh, some type of outline memorized or uh, we have to have the Roman road memorized. Now, obviously, uh, we want to use scripture because that's where our truth comes from. We, we, there's nothing wrong with learning those things. But I want you to look at mission, be, being more of this idea of really being on mission is speaking and living the gospel on a normal way, like just in a way that it becomes a part of who you are. I know many times we'll find ourselves in a situation where a coworker or, or maybe someone out in the community and we're hanging out with them or spending time or we engage them in the grocery store and they're telling about some you know, negative thing or, or some type of struggle that they're having. And minutely our, comes to our mind as we, we think about stopping and praying, but then we, we start allowing the enemy to trick us and we start thinking, oh, well, that'll embarrass them or they'll probably reject me or I'll just pray for you later. You know, I would encourage you what you would normally do with a Christian friend, just go ahead and do with them. Because what you'll see is when you naturally begin to speak and live out the gospel around you, all of a sudden 
those things will come to the surface and God will give you an opportunity for deeper things with them. I, I think about it almost like uh, many of us today will go out and we'll go to a restaurant or maybe uh, you got your best steaks picked out, right? And uh, you'll grill them up. I know many in here in this, in this uh, place meeting, I've eaten your food and it's really good so you can invite me anytime. But, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll go home uh, after that restaurant experience it was super positive, probably one of your favorite restaurants, you'll go bragging, all right, to others what a incredible experience it is. Some of you guys have your, some of your favorite restaurants, and you'll stand in line for an hour or more to get that food. And others will hear about that, well, I don't know about the line, you know. I, and then all of a sudden, you'll take the line, and you'll say, well, that's a part of the experience. No, that's the time for you to kind of get to know people better, and you can engage. So all of a sudden, you take what seems to be a negative thing, and you redirect it, and you know, guys, that's not a whole lot different than the gospel because when we engage people, we're sharing what is good. It's called the good news, the gospel, you and Galeon, okay? And so this picture that we're sharing something that just like you would go to a restaurant, now obviously the implications are much bigger, but it's this idea of you're just sharing something good. You're sharing something that God has done in your life. It should become a part of everyday language. And even the things that were, some people may find negative about Christ or church, all of a sudden now you're able to redirect them and, and kind of begin to shape that conversation in a different way, just like you would for your favorite restaurant. It's this idea of living out the good news and sharing and speaking about the good news. See, we see this in Mark. If you want to flip over to Mark, you can. But Mark 1, I'm going to read it for you. Um, this is Jesus coming onto the scene. Mark 1, 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then skip down to verse 14. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, listen, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, this is where I think we get things mixed up a little bit. When we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the gospel. And what I mean by that is we, in lots of ways, we, we talk about almost like this linear argument. And, and, and listen, I'll, hear me all the way through when, I, when I'm trying to describe this morning. In other words, we start out on earth with me. And do you understand that for, for people to kind of come in this world, you almost feel like in lots of worlds that you, you entered a movie halfway through it. You ever feel like that? That, that things were already set in motion and that you're, you're kind of almost like jumping in a, a rapid, that it's going downstream and you're in the middle of this. And that is a picture of what we need to begin to describe as the kingdom of God. In other words, the kingdom is bigger if you were to describe the kingdom or sum it up, I would use three words. I've sold this for someone. I can't remember. But it's this idea of dwelling. The first, the first thing is dwelling. And it's this idea of dwelling with God. See, if you were to sum up the scriptures, we talk about Jesus um, in the picture of Jesus pointing everything to the cross in the Old Testament and the New Testament pointing everything back. But if you would summarize this, this picture of really God with us, that's what the scriptures is. This idea of God with us. If we look at the picture of the garden, it was God with Adam and Eve. If we, if we look at the picture of the tabernacle, 
when God delivered the uh, Israelites out of Egypt and, and God commanded them to give them a, a, the law and to give them their tabernacle, it was God with them. If we see Jesus came incarnate, put on flesh and blood, it was God with us. And then we look at the day of Pentecost. God gives us his Holy Spirit. It's God in us, a dwelling place. And then ultimately, we're going to see a picture of a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus, God with us. The other D is this idea of dominion. See, is the very beginning, uh, we talked about this with my girl, our girls just another night ago, but God has exercised us as image bearers, uh, this idea of what we would call uh, in those ancient times a viceroy, an image bearer that we were given the responsibility um, to bring uh, order to chaos, to bring light into darkness. And we know the fall damaged that. It separated, basically took heaven and earth together, God's space and man's space that were at 1.1, God with us, and it tore it apart. And now we're separated from God because of our sin. And God is holy, and so we cannot occupy God's space. The only way we can get to God is through the blood of the Lamb. And that the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And now we can enter into the Holy of Holies. We can enter boldly before the throne of God because of what Jesus has done for us. And this idea of, of Eden, but then also the idea of the tabernacle and this idea of dominion, he gave them the law to be a holy people, to show people and to show the nations what God's people does look like. He says, I want you to be my people and for me to be your God, and I want to write my law on your heart. That is the picture of a dominion. And now Jesus came, and what did he tell us to do? Go and make disciples, right? So now he's given us all authority He's given us, he's empowered us with his Holy Spirit, and he's given us dominion over darkness because of what he's done. And it's no longer just God with us, now it's God in us through Jesus. So understanding God has given us dominion here on earth. We're to bring his kingdom here on earth. That's what Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about living out and sharing and being missional, it's really this idea that we're bringing the kingdom of God here on earth. Everywhere you go, everywhere you live, everywhere you work and play, it's the kingdom of God. And you get to be Jesus. You get to basically be a piece of heaven here on earth. See, um, ultimately, it's this idea of a dynasty that... We are building God's kingdom in a sense as we advance God's kingdom to ultimately rule and reign as co-heirs with Christ one day. Because you look at the last book of the Bible, Revelation, it says a new heaven and a new earth will come and we will rule and reign with him. So when you're inviting people, you're inviting them to understand that now they can dwell with God, they can have dominion with God, and they can live in this dynasty that God is creating. I know that is so maybe different than what we've heard, but when you look through scriptures, that's what you see. You see this picture. Now, many of us will describe this idea of kind of living a linear life, and then all of a sudden, you know, we kind of have this watermark where it's good and bad, and if we do enough good, uh, then we get into heaven, and we do enough, if we do bad, then we're in hell, 
right? Or maybe is, even as believers, we know that we're somehow believers in Jesus, but it's this idea that we don't understand that it's, we're not the center of the universe. And, and, and believe me, this idea of individual salvation is important. But understanding it's bigger than just you being saved and rescued. It's a part of God's plan. See, God is the center of the story, not us. And he's inviting us to be a part of his grand story. So when you're inviting people and you're living out the gospel, you're inviting them to be a part of God's story. They're not the center of the universe. We're not the center of use. I'm not the center of the universe. It's God's story. It's not our story. And you're being invited to be a part of that story. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, basically what happened was hell was unleashed, if you will, on earth. And they unleashed, look around, we haven't stopped unleashing hell on each other. Look at racism. Look at war, right? Look at disease. Look at uh, anything that causes death and destruction. It's unleashing hell on earth. In fact, this is a great scripture in James. And it says this, James 3. It says, how great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And a tongue, a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Listen to this. A tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Right? The reality is human, bringing, human beings are bringing hell on earth because of their sin. Now, understand that there will be an ultimate judgment, and God will separate the sheep from the goats. And the only thing, we, we have lots of descriptions of where hell is ultimately uh, like. We don't know where it's going to be, but it says it's outside the city gates of the New Jerusalem. It's where weeping and gnashing of teeth is eternal torment. But understanding that God wants to get hell out of us now. I mean, understanding that God is inviting us to actually be a part of his story. And when that happens, the Bible says, when we repent and we trust in the work of Jesus Christ and we trust in him alone, Jesus plus nothing, the Bible says now he gives us a new spirit. And now, no longer do we live like we lived before. We have a new way of living. We have new desires. We have a new heart. And now we're living out for him. And we get to invite people to be a part of this. See, Colossians 1, 20 says this, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And Acts 1, 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on your, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So understanding when God is in you, now you can live for him. And so this idea of living on mission is all we're doing is we're inviting people to be a part of God's story. And his story is to reconcile heaven and earth, to bring all things back how they were supposed to be from the beginning. See, uh, if you look at high priestly prayer, the one thing that disciples ask, how do we do this? 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's this idea of bringing and reconciling heaven and earth. And when, when you're born again, God gives you his spirit. Now you can be a piece of heaven here on earth to spread his good news. That is what God is calling us to do. And see, that's why we see in the scriptures where it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You're bringing heaven to earth because of what Jesus has done for you. And when you receive that free gift, it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's by grace, not through works that no one can boast. And when that happens, he gives you a new spirit, and now you can be his hands and feet. And now you can invite others to be a part of that. I want to ask you, are your feet beautiful? Do your neighbors see hell on earth when you're around, or do they see heaven on earth? Does your family see hell on earth or heaven on earth? See, it's not just what we say, it's, it's how we live our lives. Are, are you gracious to those people? Today, a lot of people that attended a worship service will go into a restaurant. And many waitresses say that's their worst day because of all the mean Christians. Are you, are you heaven on earth or hell on earth? Do you have beautiful feet? Are you bringing the good news to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your teammates, to your classmates? I encourage you. It's not complicated. It's sharing the good news of Jesus, that we were lost and you can be found, that you were blind and you can receive your sight. You were in darkness, but you can be brought into the light. Don't overcomplicate it. Have beautiful feet. Share the good news with others. Will you stand? Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray as we talk about the church, as we talk about being on mission, we think about paying missionaries or sending people across the world. God, I believe the light that reaches the farthest is the brightest at home. Father, help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to have beautiful feet. God, to be heaven on earth as we extend your good news father wow we love you and god would you only do what you can do if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know what it means to be born again doesn't know what it means uh, to be rescued from their sin to be bought back from the blood of christ would they come today we can share that good news the bible just says you have to call on the name of the lord literally you just put faith in the work of jesus and what he's done. Jesus plus nothing. If there's anyone here that wants to follow through with believer's baptism, they privately come to Christ, but they want to publicly make it known. God, I pray, or maybe just at a time where they just want to use up here as an altar. God, I pray that we would have beautiful feet. God, we would be known as a church who has beautiful feet. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name.